The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Luke Fay. The MLB playoffs are here. We recap two series so far, the Braves versus the Cardinals and the Rays versus the Astros. Another week of NFL means a shift in the NFL power rankings. We'll see which team is the best in the NFL so far this season. Bye-bye, bye week. Florida State football rests ahead of its rivalry matchup against Clemson. We will have Amy McKenna, the sport director for Tiger Vision, Clemson's student TV station, join us to preview the big matchup in Death Valley this week. You can always call in to the show at 850-644-1837. Strap in, fellas. It's time for Tomahawk Talk. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Putnick. And Gary, it looks like you are going to be taking the reins a little bit at the beginning of the show today. Yeah, I, I am the captain now. <laughs> oh, well, Gary, it, it is rivalry week, so uh, what what do you uh, plan on doing for this Florida State-Clemson matchup uh, this weekend? You know, I think I'm going to be making the six-hour or so drive all the way up to Death Valley to see the Seminoles take on the Tigers, and I think I might be joined by a few people. I know you might be coming along along with, as well as Thomas Martinez of the FSVU. Yeah, we've got a... Uh... We got three credentialed media members for the student media, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to take it uh, by storm. Yeah, that's a that's the plan. Hopefully, Florida State uh, puts on a show. I'm hoping for one score game. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. What happened? I just want to have fun. <laughs> uh, well, having fun is uh, is all a part of it, but also having <laughs> a one one score game can uh, fix everything. Over to my right, Tyler Phillips, the Rays aficionado. Tyler, what do you think of the Rays so far this uh, playoff season? Oh, well, they've got my uh, hopes up, they've gotten my hopes down, and now it's back up again after today's 10-3 to uh, smackdown of Houston. Uh, I am ready for Game 4, uh, Verlander versus the bullpen, our, our best asset. I am pumped. I'm ready to go. Raise up, baby. Oh boy, we'll we'll see. Uh, we've got a couple of Rays fans in the in the studio. We'll see if uh, they're going to be happy by the weekend's end. And over to the far far left, that'll be Austin Reynolds, the Braves aficionado, not the Rays aficionado. And Austin, you've got a little breaking news for us about the Braves. Yeah, they are currently in extra innings in Game Four against the Cardinals. Uh, Miles Michaelis just struck out the order, not struck out. He retired the order, so going into the Cardinal side of extra innings. I'm currently losing my mind. This whole series has been just a whole roller coaster of emotions so far. The Braves are one win away from uh, moving on in the playoffs. Uh, that would be a very exciting thing. If you if you could think to yourself that the Braves have a chance to go to the World Series, don't, don't what, give me what that. that what would that be <laughs> as a as a uh, sad Atlanta sports fan? It would be the biggest ray of sunshine, rather imaginable, because while Atlanta United are doing very well in the MLS. They don't get very much recognition, and the Falcons are my baby, and they are disappointing me so far. So the Braves would, if they make the World Series, I would be very content. Hey, but at least you got hockey season, and you got the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> is that what? Is that double A? Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. they were the NHL team, and then they got shipped over to Winnipeg. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the second time they had their team taken away from them. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, to Calgary and then Winnipeg, yeah. Yep. 
Well, Gary, we might be making a pit stop in Atlanta, so we'll see if the Braves can pull it off. Gary, let, let, let's talk a little bit about this uh, this playoff so far, and, and we'll start with the Braves game, which is going on mm-hmm. right now against the Cardinals. So far it is 2-1 uh, to one mm-hmm. in favor of the Braves in the series, best of five. Yes, and it's been, it's been a really interesting series. I know the Braves got out to a really early lead in the game one, and then they subsequently blew it to the Cardinals and then tried to make a late push with Carlos Martinez pitching the way he has pitched. But they just haven't, They just weren't able to get it done then, and then they won the last two. And the la- last night's game was very interesting. I know, I assume Austin watched it. Tyler, did you watch it as well? I didn't. I didn't get a chance to, to watch it. I was <laughs> watching uh, NFL. I was watching my Saints. Uh, oh, fair, well. <laughs> fair enough. I don't blame you for that. Austin, give me your take on how it went last night for the Braves. My take is that Mike Soroka needs a lot more support from his offense than he was getting last night. Give it, give a little backstory on him. He, he's young. He's a young pitcher yep, he, for the Braves. He's, he's 22. A lot of guys in the Braves, <laughs> a lot of guys in the Braves organization, kind of feel like he's playing above his age. He's more like a, a throwback style pitcher. He's very composed, but they <laughs> they did their best to ruin my night until the ninth inning when they finally came alive. What what was that stat line? Did he allow only two hits? I if think so. I recall, it was two hits across just over seven innings, I believe. And and seeing that from from um, a, a pitching staff that has Dallas Keuchel and Keuchel has been here it's, and there, uh, it, it, it's a little bit. Uh, it's it's not concerning that you've got this young guy that's actually performing. We've seen it happen time and time again with uh, people being called up. I think it was Walker Bueller, mm-hmm. David Price, all in the all in the young young uh, careers coming up and making an impact in that in that postseason. For sure, yeah. And I mean, you mentioned Dallas Keuchel. Out of the three pitchers that have started games so far, he is the one who I would put the least likely. He's the the one who's least likely to have played suspect, and he's played mm-hmm. suspect in both of his starts so far. Fultonevich and Soroka have been fire, and Keuchel has been a little less than fire. But, I mean, Soroka is a great addition to this pitching staff that did have a lot of question marks surrounding it throughout the season. Do you think Dallas Keuchel's slump has to do with him not playing organized baseball for uh, a couple of months uh, being that free agent that was signed and he's still playing on that one-year deal he's going to be free agent at the end of the season he hasn't exactly helped his case going into uh, free agency once again yeah I mean he hasn't been lighting up the box score I mean I, I, I don't really believe that the excuse of being away from the game for so long is valid right now because he's been in the Braves organization for a little bit he knows their styles. Maybe postseason pitching is a different animal for him. But uh, what did you think of him in terms of like I? You could say that he's not getting the same kind of run support that he got in Houston. He doesn't have that same kind of backing. Mm. That could also play a factor. But I, yeah, like I'm going to have to agree with you. I don't think he really is a, being that much affected by that little month off that he had. Well, I was very surprised that the Braves went with him in Game One, and the reasoning they they gave was uh, that he was better at home, and and Soro- uh, sorry, what is Soroka. it? Soroka. Soroka. It was better on the road. Uh, you know, I was really surprised they didn't start Soroka and then go over to uh, Fultz. Fultonevich. Fultonevich. <laughs> they've got a tough. They've got they've a got tough, a tough name. lineup. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> just go with Fulty. <laughs> uh, Fulty. Yeah. So I was really surprised because he. You know, like like you said, was signed on the off season or uh, mid season, and I don't think he is their ace. He's definitely not. Um, no. And so you know, you really risked it, and and it showed that. You know, they gave up uh, quite a bit of runs, took the Cardinals in Game One. What was your thought on um, on their decision to start uh, Keuchel? I was on board with it from the start. I mean, Soroka has always been incredible on the road, so I didn't really look too much into the decision to start Keuchel in Game One. 
Um, I mean, it, prior knowledge, or not prior knowledge, rather, 2020 hindsight would tell you that you maybe should have started Fulton Evich to get off on the right foot. But, I mean, we're up to one right now. Can't really complain too much. Let's talk about the controversy, guys. And this is what a lot of the people have, have been mentioning throughout uh, really this series. And it is Acuna not running out the bases. And I know that some, if you guys weren't aware, Acuna's uh, his, um, drive has not been there 24-7, 100%. What are you guys' takes on um, his, his play, even though he prides so much offensively, but he's still that uh, lackluster when it comes to the hustle side of, of the ball? It's a bit disappointing to see that happen. Like I, I don't blame him, honestly, for that. I saw that ball. I was like, oh, my gosh, that ball is gone. I didn't believe that it was going to hit off that little brick part that they have between the padding and the actual home run line in Atlanta. So... I could see, like, he does that a lot. That's just him. Like, you can't really knock in. The MLB's whole, like, thing this whole year has been let the kids play. And now everyone's not letting the kids play. So what's everyone's got to make up their mind. And I know there's always, obviously, the old baseball people that be like, you got to run out every single ball, hard 90s, keep your head down, look at all your base coaches, do all X, Y, and Z. And he, I, I don't really hate it that much. It. Uh, to me, it was a non-issue. Um, you know, ideally, you'd like to see him uh, hustle every play, but Acuna gives you that hustle in the field. He also gives you that hustle on the base pads. He's a he's a, a team player, and he's also uh, I don't know if he ever got to that forty forty mark. He did not. He he was, he was very close. Yes. That just goes to show you his hustle and his energy that he's put into this season. Is that is that forty home runs, forty, 40 stolen steals. bases? 40 steals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I just want to give a little update for the Braves Cardinals series right now. Bottom 10, one out, runners on the corners for the Cardinals. Julio Tehran is in the pitch. I know, Austin, we were talking about this walking to the station today. Former, former Braves pitcher, correct? He's, current Braves pitcher. Oh, cur- current. He's, this is the Braves, oh, he's, the bottom <laughs> half. It's in St. Louis. He's, he's, a, former, he's a starter No, he's normally. pitching. Oh, okay. He's okay. in the pitch. For oh, the, okay, yeah. sorry. He's pitching. Come on, Luke. Really, I was so confused. I was like, what? Your lack of baseball knowledge is showing right now. <laughs> no. But Austin no. and I, we were talking about this coming into the station today. Julio Tehran. What I, it's Julio Tehran. We got to expect he's going to blow this game, right? Um, as we currently speak, the ball is being caught, thrown to home, and the Cardinals have won the game. And I was, <laughs> and I was right. We got to expect him to blow this game, and just like that, he does. It was yep. a sack fly to left field. Still Fine. blew the game. He let off with a, he gave up a leadoff double, and then intentionally walked the guy. Ozuna grounded out, advanced the runner over, and then who hit the sack fly? Uh, I wasn't sure. Was, I think yeah, it's Molina. It. it looks like Molina. I, Molina. That's what I see on the MLB at bat. See, I, I saw Tehran. I I knew that he played for the Braves guys. I'm just colorblind, and I thought that it was a Braves guy up to bat on GameCast. I'm sorry. But yeah, no, I was. I did I not say <laughs> bottom half of the inning. I said Cardinals batting at least. Yeah, well, you okay, know, whatever. We hey. live. We live and you learn. But yep. let's let's get into the logistics here, Gary. And uh, your your big takeaway is the closer for the Cardinals, Carlos Martinez. Is not good. No, I don't. He is not right for the closer role. I think he's a better in a starting position this year for the playoffs. He's pitched six and or sorry, he's pitched two and one third inning, and he's given up six earned runs. And that I know the one game that he technically got the save in the game in game one against the Braves, but he gave up two home runs, one being a two run shot and the other a solo to Freddie Freeman. But and then he gives up the and then he blows the game last night. So he's got to settle down. I really don't believe that the Cardinals should be putting him in that closer role. Well, then who do you go to? I, mean, I don't know, but it can't be Carlos Martinez because he's obviously not doing the job. Is that not right? I mean, that's not— You're, you're not wrong. Yeah. No, I'm, just, I'm just curious on who you go to in that bullpen 
to get you the, the saves that you need. I mean, maybe toss him in a long reliever role. He's just not built for that one inning of work. Yeah. I think he works better over three or four. So, Austin, what did you think of it? I mean, I, I'm kind of in your same camp. Uh, just don't put him in a closer role. Just look to li- literally anybody else because six earned runs over just over two innings, that's not what you want to be putting out on the on the field during a postseason series. But the Braves have had their share of uh, bu- closer issues as well. Mm-hmm. Mike Melanson, Luke Jackson. Uh, Mark they, Melanson. Or Mar- rather. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just in, in a state of shock right now, a state, <laughs> state of disappointment. The emotions are still raw, so bear with me. Hey, the most exciting words in all of sports, game five is uh, coming oh, up. Okay. What is it, Wednesday night? So, yeah, best of five series for that game over there. And jumping back over to Carlos Martinez and that blown save that he had the other night, Dansby Swanson, like a guy, another guy that I personally am not a huge fan of, just the way that he per, or he performs generally. He's kind of like a lot of hype, not too much production, and he came up big. I think he, what he had two doubles last night. Am I right with that, Austin? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, two doubles, including the go. Was it the go ahead run or was it go, what? You, run us through that inning again. Um, let me look back. It was Dansby that. He let, did he lead off with the ground rule double or a double to uh, that almost made it over the wall, and then he got knocked in later, uh, and then two yeah, more by, runs came in after the fact by Adam Duvall. Right? Yeah, knocked him by yeah. Duvall. Mm. What did you? I mean, how did you think of Duvall? He doesn't. He doesn't do that much either. But the, both of those guys were actually able to step up and do their job. Yeah, I mean, especially towards the end of the season, you would never picture Dansby Swanson in a clutch role like that, but. He and Adam Duvall that recently came up from AAA, I mean, they completely blew out, or blew all my expectations out of the water last night. Yeah, and Dansby, it, Dansby just doesn't do that. Like, I think I said to my roommate, I was watching the game, I was like, I can't believe Dansby's actually going to do this. Like, mm-hmm. it's wild to see him, especially from going, I really thought he peaked when he was playing shortstop for Vandy, but he, and then he got traded, obviously, with uh, from the D-backs over to Atlanta, everyone thought. This is the, like, Dansby's such a great guy. He's an Atlanta kid from the area, and he's going to perform, but he just hasn't had He's been overshadowed by that international talent that they brought. For sure. Exactly, yeah. Better players, flat out. But Dansby just had the College World Series name coming into the fact. Well, guys, let's let's move on to the Rays, and I know that that's what a lot of locals (laughs) want to talk about. I would say Tallahassee is probably a 60% um, Braves fan, and then you can throw in... 30 to 40 percent along with the Rays. Well, let's talk about the Rays. I know Tyler Phillips is on the edge of his seat talking about that. But the Rays, they were in a win-or-go-home situation in the trap. People always make a, make fun of the turnout and everything. It was loud in there. The They they were down early. Jose Altuve hit a solo home run to lead off the game. And what are you thinking after that? Well, it was the second here. But, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, right in there, you know, first sitting. Uh I was thinking, you know, here we go again. Here we go. You know, I knew we had Charlie Morton on the the uh, mound. Uh, you know, I know he's a veteran. He'll he'll bounce back. You know, he always gives up a few runs here and there. And that was the only run he ended up giving up that uh, the whole game. Um, but you know, I was a little concerned. I, I you know, I was like, here we go. The you know Astros are back to hot hitting. You know, they've got Grinky on the mound. You know, are we going to be able to get to Grinky? You know, we didn't get to, to Verlander, didn't get to Cole. Um, we had a combined four hits against both, or five hits against both of them uh, with three walks. Um, and, 
it, it was just concerning. Um, and then, you know, you get move forward to about, it was the second inning, the second inning, bottom of the second, I think. Uh, Kiermaier hit that three-run homer. And I'm like, here we go. This is it. This is the 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 mo- motivation, the momentum that we needed. I think once I saw that Kiermaier home run, I was like, not, the Rays aren't going to lose this game. I was confident in that. I, Granke, for some reason, just can't also get it really going in the playoffs. I know he's not one of the better playoff pitchers. I was just assuming he they'd be able to carry over the kind of that culture and that energy from the uh, regular season and just ro- steamroll through the first round here. Well, yeah, and the, and the Rays, watching them all season, um, they went through spouts where they just could not uh, hit the ball. Uh, they went 30 scoreless innings between Seattle and Detroit, two of the worst pitching Ooh. teams in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just they get in these slumps, and then they'll break out of them. They'll get a 10, 11-run game, and that's what they did today. They pieced together hits, uh, four home runs, from a team that's really not known for the long ball. Um, and so, you know, the, this was the exact game the Rays needed to gain some momentum. You you mentioned it a little bit, but what was the difference between the first two games and this game where the Rays ended up turning it on? Well, starting pitching. I mean, like like uh, like Gary said, you know, Grinky just can't get it going. Um, he, he looked kind of flustered after that three-run three, three run homer by Kiermaier, uh, then gives up another one to Troy, and then the, the inning after that by Lau, and then walked Adamas, and A.J. A. Hinch had seen enough. Um, and so it, it, that's, that's the concern for the Rays going forward. They get Verlander in game four. Perspectively, if there's a game five, you would get Cole again. So the Rays, uh, you know, the difference between the first two games and this game was the starting pitching for sure. Mm-hmm. De- defensively, they've had a, a little bit of trouble. How, how is what has been really the the problem with that? Oh well, you know, what does ha- it come down to? It comes down to you know miscommunication. Uh, Austin Meadows is uh, one of the best uh, hitters. Uh, the Rays have, but he is uh, a sight for sore eyes defensively. Uh, <laughs> he he had a there was a fly ball that was clearly his to call in right field, and you know this was a, a one run, a one game a one zero game at that point, um, or a two zero game at that point, um, and and he gave up. You know Brandon Lau has to come out there, reach for the ball, and it gives up two runs, and that kind of shifts the momentum back to Houston. Um, and that's and, just one of those backbreaking plays where. You, you see it in any level, whether it's minor league, uh, you go back to little league, you see that happen, and it's hard to come back from that emotionally. Yeah, it really is, and you look at that and you're like, wow, you know, we just gave them two free runs, essentially, because that was, that was out number three, um, and, and you're already facing a starter like Verlander who is who is absolutely untouchable, so it was really a, it was the nail in the coffin that day. And they extend the series, obviously, today. So now they got game four tomorrow afternoon. It will either be tomorrow afternoon around 4 o'clock or possibly 8, depending on the Yankees game, I believe. Oh, is it? Is it, it was going to change? I think it's I like think a so. flex okay. game. Because if the Yankees uh, win the series tonight in Minnesota, then they'll uh, then there'll be only one game tomorrow. So it'll just be the Rays-Astros. So that'll be moved to an 8 o'clock primetime matchup. So we're, what are your thoughts going into that game? I know it's going to be tough. It's going to be Verlander on the mound guaranteed for the Astros. I, don't, I didn't really see who's the starter for Tampa. Uh, it's Diego Castillo. He's mm-hmm. normally a bullpen guy, but yep. he'll be used as an opener. Uh, he's got some really good velocity, velocity on his fastball and his slider. 
um, and he'll be coming out there probably asked to give at least one to two innings um, and then it's a bullpen day from there it's mm-hmm. uh, you know and that's always well, tough to face so. well and it was huge that they didn't really utilize as much as their bullpen in like in huge situations today so I mean they only I think that was it uh, McKay or Rowe, Chaz Rowe and McKay only went combined an inning and then Drake and uh, Poche went to three innings combined so they didn't really use up a whole lot of their bullpen and the guys from the pre the weekend have kind of had some time to recuperate yeah they used their B or B a B plus mm-hmm. bullpen today uh, to kind of get some <laughs> innings, uh, and you'll see McKay and Rowe tomorrow as well. Uh, definitely McKay to get some length, maybe about two to three innings, um, and and it'll definitely be matchup baseball tomorrow. I think everybody is in play, even if they pitch today. Maybe not, maybe not Drake, uh, but Poche is definitely still usable, um, and so you'll see everybody. Uh, maybe even Yarbrough, maybe Chirinos uh, a little bit. Um, so. It is. It's all hands on deck, as Kevin Cash would like to say. And what have you thought of my former Marlin, Nick Anderson? I know he played. <laughs> he played well in the wild card game. I saw that. But what have your thoughts on him since you've gotten strikeout it? machine? Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly what you need in the seventh or eighth inning when you're in a tight ball game in a playoff situation. Um, you'll see him tomorrow uh, if it's a close game, and uh, just a very his his ball to walk ratio has gone down. Since he's come to the Marlins, which well, I did not, or come to the Rays, I did mm-hmm. not think that was possible, but it has. Well, it helps when you got some confidence behind you and knowing that your offense can produce. Because obviously the Marlins weren't able to produce that well. And I was really surprised on how he pitched, too, because he, I just didn't see that from him. And I went to a, game, a Marlins versus Rays game in the Trop over the summer. I went to two of them. And he pitched, and I was like, oh, great. Here come the Marlins. Now we can come back. We know what to do against Nick Anderson. It's going to be a win from the fish. And he shoved down. I was like, okay, where was this? this? It just wasn't there when he was in Miami. Well, and it's that's that's what happens with a lot of the pitchers that come to the race. You look at Drake, for instance, you know, and, and MLB Network was talking about this today. He was DFA'd uh, a couple times by uh, a couple teams last year. He's been with seven teams over the past two years, and he comes to the Rays, and he's been effective in getting out lefties and getting, you know, uh, getting uh, some innings out of the bullpen. So you look at Nick Anderson, I think the Rays have a farm system and a support system and a pitching system that might just be a little bit better than the Marlins. And, and, and the, mm-hmm. Kyle Snyder has done an amazing job with a lot of the bullpen arms that have come here from other teams. Tyler, I got two questions for you. Yeah. The, the the first one being, Yarbrough has, Yarbrough has come in in the opener situation quite a few times this year. Do you think that they would want to turn to him since he, he has so much experience doing that? Or is this too big of a stage for that? You mean he comes on after the opener? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. He, he's the starting pitcher after the first inning I could or very two. well see them using uh, Yarbrough. The problem with Yarbrough is um, he can get very streaky at times. He can be a, a pitcher that, you know, he almost no-hit the Orioles uh, earlier this year. Yeah, it's the Orioles, but, you know, it was a combined no-hitter with Ryan Stanek when he was on the team, almost. It was one out away. Um, and then he goes and, you know, he'll give up five, six runs. So it's really, it's very problem. Or it's problematic because you're put in a spot where you don't want to get him into three, four, five, six innings because you don't know what to expect from him. So I, I don't think he's going to go very long if he's in there. I maybe two to three innings at most. Well, and and one thing that I, I want to add is the Astros a couple years ago were the worst team in baseball. 
Um, the Rays recently were one of the worst teams mm-hmm. in baseball. What does it mean for some of those teams that have been at the bottom to see these two program or these two organizations come up to the top and maybe the Marlins could be one of those next teams on the rise? Is, is that the way to go? Would you say that the Rays tanked or they built correctly? They never really tanked. I think they were consistently building. Um, and, you know, besides that one year in 2016 where we got McKay uh, in the draft, um, I really think the Rays were competitive. It just they didn't have some of the pieces they needed. They have young talent. They have a good farm system. And that's some of the things that Houston did as well. Um, and they get, you know, some pieces here and there in free agency to piece together a good team to make a playoff run. And then going into next year, it's going to be kind of tough. I was looking at your guys' contracts for the up-and-coming years. I think you only have four players on this current roster that are not on one-year deals. Really? So it's going to be a lot to try and yeah. hold in, especially with the way all of them have been playing. Because a lot of those guys, they'll just get poached by the Yankees or whoever wants them. Whoever's one of the, got the deeper One pockets. of the big things that the Rays have done is knowing when to trade guys. Mm-hmm. And that's been their best, uh, really their best asset is getting, mm-hmm. you know, when they traded James Shields, just what that trade has given them. Um, you look at all the other big guys that they've traded. Uh, Austin, I, I want to ask you this. Looking at the Rays-Astros series, do you see any way that the Rays can pull off another win at the Trop in and uh, and go to Game Five in in uh, Houston. I mean, anything can happen. As much as people love to play up Justin Verlander as this invincible Goliath that nobody can ever slay, I mean, any pitcher is vulnerable on any given day. So, I I don't rule out the possibility of it happening. The Rays can absolutely take the second game at home. So, I I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I don't. I but I still I believe that Verlander is that behemoth. I would think he is. I think he's really turned that corner since coming back, coming down to Houston. He's just been. It feels like untouchable. Two quick things, just really say, Verlander's on short rest. That's the one thing going for the Rays. Mm-hmm. And if the Rays can get to Verlander early, not necessarily score runs. All mm-hmm. you got to do is drive up his pitch count. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can get him out of the game in the fifth inning, I think you put up put a week. Uh, you put. Houston's bullpen in, which is a weak spot for them. Mm-hmm. Ver- Verlander can't go deep again. No. It, it really no. can't happen. If, Like you said, if the Rays can just tack on a run and, and pull out those long innings, uh, it could be very beneficial to see Justin Verlander go four. Yeah, no, for sure. That's the key to winning this game for the Rays. The key to winning for uh, Houston is getting length out of Verlander and continuing to hit the ball as well as they have. Guys, we're about halfway through the break. I just want to touch on the other series going on, which is the Dodgers versus the Nationals. And, of course, the Yankees versus the Twins. Guys, do you think that the series are over? Uh, yeah, both are over. Yankees win tonight. They close it out. They've won all their games by at least five runs right now. I think the the Twins will win tonight uh, with Jake Odorizzi on the mound, but they will lose tomorrow um, with the power of the, the bats the Yankees have. I feel like both favorites win tonight, but I'm more confident in the Yankees to close it out than I am in the Dodgers. I feel like Dodgers-Nats has been a more competitive series, so that's that's the pick for games to watch tonight. Dodgers are currently up one nothing, bottom third right now, okay. so that's your little update there. <laughs> All right, guys, well, we're going to head to break. Uh, you're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
And now we'll toss it over to Sam Collins with our Seminole segment. This is Sam Collins bringing you the Seminole segment. In cross-country news, the men's and women's teams compete at the prestigious Joe Piani Notre Dame Invitational this weekend, finishing 10th and 3rd overall, respectively. This was the first race for the number 17 women's team since August 30th, and they took down nine nationally ranked opponents in, that, in this match. They only finished behind Utah and the defending NCAA champion, Colorado. The women, led by Jody Judd, who finished 22nd overall, had a meet-best 14.4 second split between their first and fifth runners. The Knowles' first five runners also all recorded personal bests of all recorded personal best. Six of the seven men's runners recorded personal best for a five-mile race, and their 24-14 average was the program's fourth fastest at Notre Dame in their last eight appearances. Switching over to volleyball, the number 23 women's team fell to the number four ranked Pitt in a very competitive match at home. In a final score of three sets to one, this was the Knowles' first ACC opponent they faced all season. They entered their uh, the Knowles entered the game ranked 7th in the NCAA blocking, averaging 22.94 per set. That, the women upheld the standard, recording 18 blocks, their most since playing Texas A&M on September 1st, 2016. Emma Clothier, Jasmine Martin, and Lily Tessier each recorded career highs in blocks as well. FSU's 25-14 victory in the third set was the, just the ninth set that Pitt has dropped all season and the lowest total that they've had in a set all season. The Seminoles will continue ACC play next weekend with a pair of away games at NC State and UNC. That's all I have today. Now back to the show. Thanks, Sam. Always a pleasure having our time-honored tradition Seminoles segment. Now we're back here on Tomahawk Talk, and we're going to toss it over to our pre-recorded interview with Amy McKenna talking about Clemson football versus Florida State this weekend with Amy McKenna, who is the sports director and anchor at Clemson's student TV station, Tiger Vision. Amy is the president and founder of Clemson's chapter of the Association for Women in Sports Media. Welcome to the show, hey, Amy. thanks for having me. We're so excited to uh, have one of the student media members come in and uh, really be a guest for us each week, and even, even better to have a woman in sports because uh, we know that it's it's way it's way harder for women compared to uh, men, and it's good to see that you're representing Clemson very well. I, you have a, a great well. Resume. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, there's a there's a pretty good community of uh, women who want to work in sports media at Clemson, um, but we don't actually have a journalism or broadcasting program here, so that's why that chapter exists. So I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> Wow, uh, Clemson and uh, Florida State are the same. We do not have broadcasting or journalism as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> yep, it's so it makes it a little bit it makes it a little bit tough on us, but that just means uh, we got to work a exactly. little bit harder. Exactly. So, how is this year's Clemson team different from last year's national championship winning football team? Last year, everybody knows we had the great, you know, senior leadership of a Christian Wilkins and all that the great defensive line that everybody loved. Um, So we definitely did lose some senior leadership um, on that team to the NFL. I might, uh, might brag. Um, This year's team, you can tell they are hungry. Clemson knows that they have a target on their back. Um, They're one of the teams to beat this year. And I think um, they know who they are. They're, they're confident in their abilities, but um, they know they're a great team, but they know they're not invincible. So 
They're definitely not last year's is team, this, that's for sure. Is this year's team uh, far less talented or just not as experienced? Um, I would say less experienced. I guess, you know, sometimes um, sometimes experience can help you in decision-making and leadership and that kind of thing. But I think we're – I mean, we're certainly – Clemson's still a talented team um, in every position. That's what makes it make, – blows my mind is that, you know, Clemson is wide receiver you, but so we've got great wide receivers. But we also have top quarterbacks, and our defensive line is still stacked even though we graduated so many players. Um, so – yeah, they're they're not the same. Do, do you but... believe? Yeah, do you believe that Clemson is the number one team in the country? Do I believe they're number one? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think when we shifted down to number two, I wasn't surprised because of the the performance at um, UNC, um, and I think they're okay being number two because you know Dabo, he loves to be riding the. Roy bus where it's Alabama and everybody else. Um, so I think honestly, that's probably good for their uh, humility, even though, you know, number two is still very high in the rankings, but um, I think shifting to number two probably was, was a little reality check maybe. Um, but like I said, they know who they are. They know they're talented. Um, they're going to do what needs to get done. So do I think they're number one? I think Alabama is, I mean, Alabama is Alabama. They're, also extremely talented. So as of now, I'm, I'm fine with them being number one. All right. And switching it over now to the quarterback situation, what do you think is wrong with Trevor Lawrence? He's already thrown more picks than he did all last year. His average yards per game is about the same, but his completion percentage is down as well. Yeah, I think, you know, they throw around the term sophomore slump. I think that's a possibility, but, um, if we can still beat Texas A&M by 14 points and have a quarterback that's in the sophomore slump, I think a lot of teams would be happy to be in that situation. Um, a lot of Clemson fans are are equally upset and concerned about what you were talking about, how um, he is playing not as well as last year, but also if you look, if you're going by touchdowns and yards, he is only playing like a quarter, two quarters, maybe three quarters of a game. Um, just because at that point in the game, we were already up by so many points. Um, and against UNC Charlotte, we played five quarterbacks. So if that tells you anything, um, he's coming out of the game early a lot of times. But yes, the interceptions are concerning. But again, he's, he's not perfect. He is a human being after all. Um, and just, you know, 19, 20 years old. So I'm, I'm not as concerned as a lot of other people probably are. And have you seen? Have you had any concerns over his decision making? I mean, obviously having more picks just this far in the game, and with playing less time in those games, there's got to be some issues related to that. I mean, they have, that's a possibility. I don't know. Um, it's not an excuse, but it's possible. You know, defenses are playing better against us this year. I really can't. I don't know if I can. If I can tell you why <laughs> he has more interceptions, I wish I could. I wish I could be in the locker room and read yeah, his mind. We don't have that answer. <laughs> <laughs> but and then moving it over to the running back uh do you think Travis Etienne gets the respect he deserves he was fourth last year in total rushing yards in the nation and he's for sure either the most or one of the most dynamic players for Clemson's offense yeah he's fantastic um everybody at Clemson loves him whenever he gets the ball it's just expected that he's going to have a big run like that's just what he does um 
I think nationally people know about him. Um, they expect big things from him. Um, and, you know, if <laughs> again, it's kind of similar to Trevor. If we weren't still blowing people out, he might get more touches and get even more yards than he already has. <laughs> um, but we also have Lynn J. Dixon, who's super talented and runs the ball really well in our offense. So um, I think, you know, Travis could make um, a Heisman run, if you will. I love puns, so Heisman run. Um, but, yeah, he's he's an incredible player, and um, people should keep an eye on him, especially this week. How do you think this year's defensive line has done – um, replacing last year's, which had three first-round draft picks and then um, one second-round draft Yeah, pick. they certainly have some big shoes to fill. Everybody loved the, the Power Rangers, as they called themselves. Um, they were fun to watch and obviously helped us win a national championship. But, alas, they did have to move on, and so did we. <laughs> um, so I think the defensive line really is surprising people. The expectations were honestly a little low because we didn't know what we were getting it was almost a whole new defensive front um so i think they've done a really good job so far they certainly are shocking a lot of people and they they understand their role they know that they were going to be um questioned and people didn't know uh, what to expect from them but they're really taking on um, their role in the defense which is really exciting as a as a clemson fan and um student so I'm glad which guy which guy on the line has stepped up uh, most in in the absence of those those leaders up front. Um I don't know about the the line but somebody I really like is Isaiah Simmons. He's kind of um he kind of floats around. He used to be a safety um but he play at least a linebacker now. Um but he is very explosive and fun to watch. Obviously we have um Xavier Thomas as well. He's super fun to watch. Um both of those guys are great players for Clemson. Um, and Xavier Thomas is the one of the reasons we didn't lose to UNC um, in that game. I don't you probably remember, but UNC was about to score their two-point conversion and beat Clemson. Um, but Xavier Thomas tackled the guy before he could score. Um, so that was big. Um, and he's – I want to say he's only a sophomore, um, maybe a junior. I can't remember. Anyway, um, him and Isaiah Simmons have stepped up big time for Clemson. Um, so, and I think the defense is kind yeah. of following their lead. Yeah, Thomas. Thomas is a sophomore. So, what what would you say is the biggest surprise on the roster this season for Clemson um, uh, overall between offense and defense? Well, we love we love a comeback story in Amari Rogers. He uh, tore his ACL, um, in, you know, about five months ago. And um, he was determined to come back and play this season. He could have, you know, taken a medical leave and not played this year, but he um, really fought his way back in his recovery. And um, his numbers aren't huge yet, but he is fun to watch. And he's a great story, um, great storyline for that guy. And everybody is really excited for him. Um, and he's, he's one of those experienced senior leaders that we do have, you know, Clemson doesn't have a ton this year um, on the offense, but he's one guy that's really fun, um, and he's he's doing a great job coming back from that ACL tear. 
All right. I know you just mentioned the narrow win against UNC, but what was the biggest problem that stuck out for Clemson to you? I think the offense was just kind of stagnant. Um, they they kind of looked like they didn't know what they were doing at points, and we were like, who is this team? What's going on? Um, but I think Clemson tend to play down to their opponent sometimes, and that can be um, one of their faults. Um, and especially against that the team last week, I think um, – People around here like to say we have one bad game where even though we can come out with a win, we just tend to, we tended to play down to that team's level. Um, and so I think it was probably more a mental thing than anything for Clemson. Um, they just just struggling a little bit. Um, that, that's what I saw. But <laughs> who really knows? Who really knows? <laughs> we yeah, like, I know, really. This but, is UNC. Uh... What's going on? <laughs> Yeah, we were, I know we were all surprised when we saw a score. I was in Doe Campbell watching FSU play, and everyone else was up top watching mm-hmm. in the press box. We, we were all demoralized that Sam Howe was playing Yeah, well. <laughs> we, were, we didn't know what was going on, but you just have to trust your team <laughs> and hope that they figure it mm-hmm. out in the end. And they did pull through, so praise God for that. <laughs> yeah, really. And with the bye week coming last week for them, why do you think that bye week, came at the right time for Clemson. Yeah, especially after UNC type performance. I think they were ready to um, kind of gather themselves and figure out what exactly went wrong and then accurately correct their steps. Um, our our defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, was, you know, livid. Um, he's a very enthusiastic, passionate guy. And so if something doesn't go the way that he likes in a game, they're very sure to correct it for the next game. So I'm, I'm confident that the defense will be very much ready um, for your Seminoles this coming Saturday. Um, yeah, they – oh, I <laughs> – For sure. I mean, two weeks uh, with the bye week is a great opportunity to kind of drill into your players uh, the game plan for FSU. So in that regard, what do you think that Clemson's game plan will be for the Noles on, on either side of the ball? Um, well – I think your Seminoles are getting back on track. Um, Don't want to hurt your feelings, but I know the beginning of the season was a little rough, but you guys have um, coming off two wins recently. So I'm guessing their confidence is building um, and Clemson just needs to, you know, remember who they are. No, they know what they are doing. They're be confident in themselves um, and really come out of this bye week focused on the task at hand, not at the next game, not the previous game not even on the bye week itself, um, just be focused on what they have to do. Kind of a Bill Belichick, do your job, if you will, um, just to get through this week. Yeah, well, the, the Bill Belichick approach definitely is uh, very effective, mm-hmm. as you can see. But uh, our head coach, Willie Taggart, uh, did mention today in his weekly press conference that they are pl- the team is planning to start quarterback James Blackman, but they'll also put Alex Hornibrook in for a couple series, uh, just – using a two-quarterback system. So which one of those quarterbacks do you think that Clemson is better equipped to play against? Does one scare you more than the other? Mm, I don't know if it necessarily scares me one over the other. Um, I think Blackman is the more experienced quarterback, if I understand right. Um, I'm looking. He's got nine touchdowns already, um, 970 yards. So, I mean, he's a great – Looks, he's, he's, he's a great quarterback. He's in Death Valley, as we talked about yeah. before. So. Yeah, I think – I mean – Hmm. That's a tough question. I'm sure, I'm sure Clemson has done their research. They 
like I was saying with um, Coach Venables, they are all over it. Um, so I'm I'm confident that they they'll be prepared for either quarterback or both, depending on what they end up doing. But so, what do you think the prediction for the game is? Give us give us a rundown of uh, what will happen. Hmm. Well, it is a Clemson home game, and Clemson likes to start quickly at home um, to keep the fans excited and keep people in the hot uh, stadium. <laughs> Although, actually, it may, may be cooler finally. I don't know about y'all, but it's been hot up here. I'm sure it's been hot where you are, too. Um, We're used to Yeah. <laughs> well, we are, too, but not this late into this season. Anyway, that's a different different uh, topic for a different day. But, um I can see Clemson coming out hot. Um, Trevor is ready to silence the the critics, I'm sure. <laughs> um, he's been having a couple weeks of it now, so I'm sure Clemson will be ready to come out firing. I can see a nice long play from Trevor Lawrence to T. Higgins, get the student section excited. Um, but I do – I mean, I do believe Florida State will challenge Clemson. I believe, I'm confident that um, – they will definitely put some some points on the board on on the Tigers, but in the end, Clemson's gonna come out with the win. Give us your your score. What what, what score? I would love to see a high scoring game because you know those are fun to watch. Um, probably not a Clemson UNC uh, score of fifty two to ten, but <laughs> um, yeah, that, that would be fun again. But um, maybe like a. Maybe a 42-21? I'll give you 21. Okay. What's your prediction? Okay. Um, well, well, we'll get into it on the show. I uh, Actually, the last time that Florida State played Clemson at Clemson, I predicted the Did correct you? score. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to push my, myself. But two years ago, I got it exactly wow. right. Uh, well, good yeah, for you. So, I, you know, I'm a, I, I, I guess I'm a lucky <laughs> man. But one thing that I, I want to uh, talk about a little bit lighter outside of football, um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of flack here. But do you think that Clemson students storming the field after every win is the worst tradition in college Absolutely football? Absolutely not. It's... Oh, oh come on. <laughs> I, I think it's so fun, especially even, I mean, even if it's a blowout win, who cares? Like, it's still fun to run down there. You're surrounding the team. So you're in with the team doing the alma mater with all your friends. You have the rush of running down the hill and running onto the field. And you might get on camera at the end of the game. It's so fun. You can, you can hate on is, that is all you want. Is there really a rush, though? Is there really a rush when you're, you're beating Charlotte 62-0? to zero? Um, I mean, the rush of running – like a child basically <laughs> running down the hill or just with your friends. I think it's really fun. I can see where it would come across as lame or whatever, but I think it's fun. Does does it lose its luster every now and then? Like you once you I can see like doing it the first couple times is a lot of fun, but like when you probably get to like your senior year and you're still doing it like okay, we've had enough. No, here. because once you get to your senior year, then you're thinking this is one of the last times I'll get to do it. Okay. Okay. So, like, when you get to your junior or sophomore year, how about that? No, I, I speak for myself, but I think people stay at the game just to rush the field. Like, they could have left in the That's third fair. quarter, or you know, if it's a blowout, people will stay just to rush the field because that's how fun it is. So maybe I'll 
them should start doing that because they obviously have trouble with their students staying there Maybe. for the whole game. If they want to get fined, I think it's twenty five thousand dollars in yeah. the SEC. Yeah, that That's is true. Yeah. That is true. But going back to Brown, kind of the game day at Death Valley, what is it like to take in a game there? And what would be your one recommendation for any FSU fans traveling up there this Ooh, weekend? Okay. Well, it is. It is. I I haven't been to many other stadiums. Unfortunately, I would love to, but I love Clemson game day. You have tailgaters everywhere. I mean the whole campus it's just people everywhere um it's a fun atmosphere we've got you know obviously everybody knows the players run down the hill um that's a fun tradition um you're just surrounded by well if you're a Clemson fan you're surrounded by 80,000 of your best friends as we like to say um if you're a state person there are everybody knows you go to the SO club it's ESSO club it used to be a gas station they turned it into a bar and restaurant um that's a classic place to go um if you want some good barbecue then you go to the smoking pig which is like right outside of clemson so that's a fun fun place to get some southern cooking um you know my family's got a tailgate i can invite you you just have to hit me up i'll let you know where it is hey. <laughs> <laughs> i can't tell all your listeners but you let me know. <laughs> I guarantee you that too many of them will be coming up there. I think it might be yes. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> we have been told that we are some good. of the nicest fans that other teams meet. So I will take that. Um, Absolutely, yes. I, I can echo everything that you've said about the game day experience. Even as an FSU fan, y'all were super accommodating. When I went up to Death Valley two oh, years good. ago, uh, I, I, never, I never got heckled or anything. Clemson fans from that experience were some of the nicest that I've met in college. Well, that's football. good to hear. Yep. Amy, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Uh, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, running into you uh, in the Yes, we'll be there. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That was Amy McKenna for Clemson. A great reporter coming on and talking to us about Clemson football. It was a nice in-depth interview. And uh, the big takeaway is he – or uh, excuse me – she and all of the other Clemson fans have no shame rushing the field after every game. Unbelievable, guys. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> everyone, everyone was beside themselves mm-hmm. in here. I mean, come on. That, that comeback was pretty good, not going to lie. I, yeah. I just I, I can't believe it. There. <laughs> I, I just can't believe it. You know, you're, 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 you're walloping an FCF school yeah. or, or whatever, and you're, you're still going to storm. It, it does take the luster out, guys. Yeah, it does. It's got to get old at some point. Like, by the time you get to – Whatever number of times of rushing the field, be like, okay, here we go again. Time to run down on the field, guys. Her, her one thing is, you know, people will stay to the end of the games to, to just to rush the field and everything. But, man, they always talk about player safety and everything. Could you imagine just every single time you go to Clemson, even if you're a Clemson football player, you know, maybe – yeah, maybe like, you had a maybe you had a bad game and muffed the ball and someone smacked you on the back of the head. I mean, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of it, but uh, maybe that's coming from a school that is uh, used to winning at Florida State, where uh, we don't rush the field. Here, I know, do we guys? No, not we at do all. not. I know Ricky Aguayo probably wouldn't like this <laughs> if this is at Florida State. <laughs> I know there's some people that don't like how he's been playing, so maybe that's why he probably wouldn't yeah. like this. Yeah, guys, I mean, I mean, like, I can understand if you're a perennial, perennially like eight and four, seven and five program, then it would be kind of a nice experience. Virginia, yeah. <laughs> then, then I could understand rushing the field after every win because those are significantly harder to come by than if you root for a team that goes twelve and zero every year, like Clemson. 
I, I feel like it's you like you said once you get to your senior year i would think it becomes more of a chore than anything like, yeah okay we gotta oh, rush yeah. the field again yeah i mean to just echo what you guys are saying it, it's it's when people rush the field, it's about that moment. It's about when you've scored, you know, 30 you know, points just to beat, you know, Ohio State or a Michigan or, a, you know, and you're at home if you're a Purdue. You know, that's, that's, a, big, that's a big deal. You know, that's, that's huge. You don't normally beat them. So. Imagine, imagine me and Clemson knocking in a 45-yard field goal, at, at, you know, at the end of uh, the game, and it's 45 to 20, and they storm the field. Unbelievable. <laughs> that's just embarrassing. But you know what? That's, that's our opinion. Uh, she says that that's part of uh, the tradition. I mean, we have traditions at Florida State, Osceola, throwing down the spear. Uh, you know, uh, that's actually a cool tradition. But, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing out a little bit of biases out here. Uh, guys, uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's give it a – it's a birthday celebration a birthday, today. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Gary, Gary has just put out to me that is the 69th birthday for Duke Campbell Stadium, guys. Ooh. So let's give a little clap there. Uh, that's, uh, that's great. And uh, what we're going to throw out here, predictions quickly, guys. Florida State versus Clemson. It's going to be a barn burner or just a burner of the barn. Uh, Clemson might just uh, run Florida State out of the water. But a good thing that we, we saw was the last time James Wackman went to Clemson. It was a close game, guys. James Wackman performed in that first half um, and uh, ended up uh, making it a little bit closer than usual. Uh, but this is up in the air. He's coming off of injury. Hornybrook is going to get some snaps. Uh, seeing what Clemson did against North Carolina, where they struggled 121-20, to I think that Florida State has a chance to make this one close, but it's going to be similar to what happened two years ago. I'm going to say 48-21 to Clemson. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a Clemson W in Death Valley. Spread right now, ESPN has it at 27 in favor of the Tigers. Largest spread since Bobby Bowden's last ever game against Florida, which was 25. Very big number. And I don't see the Tigers being able to cover that. I think Clemson wins by two scores. I'm going to go 43-33. to I think the defense has improved um, each and every week that, you know, we've been out there. Uh, they can State's only get better. There. It can only get better. <laughs> and you and I was at the game uh, two weeks ago with my parents, and you could see Jim Levitt co- coaching from the sideline. <laughs> there was no, there was no like trying to hide it. He was in a yellow shirt. He was coaching. I mean, the guy, the guy has full control of this defense, and I have a hundred percent faith that it's going to be better each and every time Florida State gets out on that field. And so my prediction is thirty-four, thirty-one. Ooh, that is okay. Hey, Austin, don't forget, Trevor Lawrence has been struggling, he so has. you could see. Yes, and Luke, you said this could be a burning of the barn. Uh, that's if FSU is the barn. So, <laughs> yes. Um, Clemson's D-line has not skipped a beat since they put three guys in the NFL in the first round alone. Yep. Um, and this offensive line for FSU is really self-explanatory. So I feel like I agree with you guys. It could be a close game early in the first half, but... My final score prediction is Clemson 37, FSU 20. I got one last thing. How many quarters? What's the over-under on Trevor Lawrence? Two and a half quarters, more or less. I think he plays the full game, guys. I play full game. Full I, game? I think he plays a full three. Well, with my score, definitely. Yeah, with all of our scores, <laughs> I think he plays a full game. Yeah. So it, He's going to be tested, and the one, things that, uh, the one thing that we saw even in the first game of the season was he tried to extend plays that he didn't need to. Um, his uh, first year, he knew that his job was you know up, up for grabs with Kelly Bryant and then sort of settled in. 
this is going to be really interesting, guys, seeing how he goes up in a rivalry game. I thought the same thing when he came to Doak, and they blew us out of the water. We'll see what happens. Just one quick one quick key to the game. Sorry about that. Uh, I think it, the, the way FSU keeps this game close is establishing the run. They've got to make sure they're getting more than three yards a carry. They've got to make have those big runs, um, and, and Cam Akers is going to have to have a day. Well, that is well said, Tyler. Of course, Tyler Phillips to my right, joining me along with Austin Reynolds. We've got Scott Clemens over on Twitter and Gary Putnick, of course, the great co-host for Tomahawk Talk. I'm Luke Fay. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.